0: Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck,
1: Mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and we've got a really great show today because so many of us have issues with money. I have to say, today, when I was looking at my $200 electric bill, you know, and I started going, (gasps) you know, because, you know, we run the heat and we run so much uh, during the cold weather, I started to feel these things and I wanted to avoid it. I wanted to avoid paying the bill, which is funny because I have the money in the account, but all these feelings come up with money and, you know, I own my own company company, I own a technology company and I have to bill my clients and for months and upon months I lived with the dread of November 1st, October 1st, rolling around because I needed to bill my clients. And it was such a funny uh, response I had that I actually went to talk to someone about what was going on with me because most entrepreneurs would be thankful to bill their clients. And it's not like my clients don't pay and they pay on time. But that whole process of dealing with money was really hard for me, and I know many of you have the same situation so I'm really excited today we're going to talk with the author Bob Wheeler he wrote a book called The Money Nerve like you know like nerves in your body and navigating the emotions of money and some of the things that his book talks about is it replaces you know some belief systems that we have we can overcome our fears about money which is why I'm going to talk to Bob today and one of the reasons that I'm so excited to have him on the show but how to have a healthy relationship with money because a lot of my mom friends, the minute the money comes through, it flows through them so fast. They hit the mall, they hit the stores, they hit the internet, and the money's gone before they have even taken possession of it. And these are some of the things that we're going to talk to uh, Bob today about. And Bob, I'm so excited to have you with me today.
0: Well, thank you, Sandra. I am excited to be here. I love this conversation.
1: (laughs) Well, and I love that you're going to help me demystify and demystify our listeners with some of these issues because I can't be the only one and my girlfriends can't be the only
0: one struggling with some of this. You are not alone. And that is what I keep telling people. You're not the only one. I hear that every time I do a workshop, people say, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. I'm so grateful to like, lift this burden and actually be able to talk about it.
1: Well, and how did you, you're a CPA, let's introduce (laughs) you, you know, for our listeners. So give a little background about who you are and why you're qualified to write this book. And then let's delve into, you know, exactly what goes on with us with money.
0: Absolutely. Well, I am a CPA and I've been practicing for over 20, about 25 years and I'm also a licensed core energetics practitioner, which is a body-based therapy. And basically, what got me into writing this book was I would sit down with people, we'd do tax planning, we'd work on a budget, we'd, I'd help them with their business decisions, and then they would turn around and make a completely illogical decision based on nothing that we discussed. And I realized that until I understood where they were coming from emotionally, I wasn't able to actually give them any practical advice that they would actually take in. And so I coupled that with looking at my own experience of being able to help other people financially. But personally, I was self-sabotaging myself. And I I knew I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't holding on to any of it. So between my personal journey of where was my self-sabotage and seeing it repeatedly in my clients really inspired me to get people to start talking about their financial issues and letting go of financial shame
1: well and let's talk about the financial shame because i'm going to share a a quick story um bob with my girlfriend who's a doctor and we both are you know self-employed and and um you know we make fairly good money but Mm -hmm. we were talking one time about there was a period of time when, when the technology changed and my company had an enormous amount of expenses and she moved from her office in West LA to Beverly Hills. So her rent went through the roof. And, um, so we both had unexpected expenses, you know, which we, we ended up regrouping from, but that first month or two we were both laughing and talking to each other and then finally I said to her I'm like you know what I don't even feel qualified to go out on a date at this point because my self-worth was so tied to my bank account And she goes oh my god Sandra I know exactly what you're talking about I had all this money in my account and I felt so great and so free and so this and she's like now I'm sitting in my you know apartment going am I going to have enough clients next month (laughs) right
0: exactly Right. And we tie ourselves sometimes to the value in our bank account versus just the goodness of us as a human being.
1: Yeah. I mean, and money is just air. It's just something that represents, you know, exchange of things. It's not even real. And, you know, to be afraid of something that's not real to me is just
0: where I start to get goofy. Yeah. And it's it really is just an energy that's moving and like you were saying in the intro, a lot of people don't allow it to sit long enough to actually do anything. We get it out of our account as quick as we can. We just like comes in and it's already spent before it even settles. And for me, it's trying to get people to be comfortable with letting the money sit in the bank, uh, using it to your advantage and, and really start to get rid of some of those beliefs. Um, I, I do this exercise in a lot of my workshops where we work with dollar bills $5 bills, $100 bills, $20 bills. And it's amazing the reaction that people have when they get the $100 bill versus the $1 bill. And when you close your eyes, they feel exactly the same. So, we're putting the the ju- the value on it. It's not intangibly worth more um, as a $100 bill than a, than a $1 bill.
1: Well, yeah, and with the price of copper, a penny is actually worth more, <laughs> you know, than the piece of paper that it's printed on.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: I know. I just this is what keeps me up at night, Bob. I start thinking about all these, you know, weird things and how we are as people, you know, and when we talk about belief systems, you know, we're talking about things that affect us socially, things mm-hmm. that affect us spiritually things that affect us from our religious persuasion you know i fight a lot with some of my conservative christian counterparts to say that you know what it is okay it is okay for us to have money it is okay for us to acquire wealth yes we need to do good works with it but there's all sorts of debates about money and then there's some weird things that you know in some of my older friends the men should handle the money not the women
0: right Absolutely, and it's amazing how much gender plays a role. Um, I, even now, when I go into workshops, so many women will say that their daughters, either by them, either from themselves or from other people, the message to their daughters is look for a look for a wealthy man to provide for you. Uh, that's success for some women, and that's you, you know in this day and age, I you know I tell women don 't wait for your you know knight in shining armor just go out and create your own create your own world create your own life but a lot of older people and even today it, it's there is a lot of, about gender um, so it's, what, you know, you were talking about... Um, not. Oh, you know first? what,
1: Bob? I'm going to take us to commercial break because oh, okay. we can talk forever on this stuff, and we will. <laughs> We've got another 45 minutes. So if you are worried about your spending, if you are wondering why you have a weird relationship with money or why you feel uncomfortable asking for things, especially related to money, you're going to want to tune in for the rest of today's show because we're here today with Bob Wheeler, and he wrote a book called The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. And we know as women... We are very emotional. One of the experts we had on recently said women change their emotions completely in a cycle of every four hours. So come back after the break. The topic today is navigating the emotions of money. You're not going to want to miss it.
3: Never heard. I was reading an article that said 16% of employers have fired employees for calling in sick with teradittles and fake excuses. Career Builders annual study reveals some of the most outrageous excuses workers have given when calling in sick. One employer called in because he thought he had won the lottery. Another employee said the chemicals in his turkey sandwich made him fall asleep, so he missed his shift. Now there's a fimble-famble or a poor excuse if I ever heard one. One person said a swarm of bees kept him from getting into his car. And another called in sick because they couldn't decide what to wear. Then again, some excuses are a little more inventive. Like the cat had synchronous diaphragmatic flutter or singletus, otherwise known as the hiccups.
2: It, it's merging.
3: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. care
2: of business. Every day. Taking care of business. Every way. care of business. It's all mine.
1: Hey, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and I am here today with Bob Wheeler, and we are talking about money. We are talking about the emotions that attach to money, and uh, boy, we all have a lot of them, and they could come from our social sphere, you know, our family and friends. They could come from our um, religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs, you know, that money is unclean or money should not be hoarded. You know, there's all sorts of things, you know, going on there, but there's also issues, and I'm going to talk about this just for a second. Second, Bob, Um, if you have parents that were, like my parents, Depression-era parents, um, I have attached myself to the Depression-era unknowingly because I reuse plastic bags. I reuse my jars. And this isn't just a recycling save-the-planet thing. It was an indoctrination as a very young girl that every single thing had to be saved and counted and, and prepared for. And I think that that had a lot of effect, Bob on my money views. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was a big issue for a lot of our other, you know, kind of late blooming moms that didn't have their kids till their 30s and 40s like I did.
0: Absolutely. It's amazing how much influence our parents and our grandparents have on us because our parents have been influenced by their parents. And so we're getting this multi-generational impact, a lot of it sometimes negative, and so we continue to feed into that, even though it's not really true for us.
1: Absolutely. It isn't true. And, you know, but it, it, it dies hard. You know, my mother, uh, who was really she was an immigrant during the Depression and they were very, very poor she used to keep coins in plastic bags, uh, tied with little bread twist ties and they were stashed all over our house. In fact, that's where my brothers and sisters and I used to go to get our spending money because we <laughs> knew, you know, we'd go take like a bag of coins and turn it in and be like, Ooh, you know, we got like $11, um, you know, to go spend, you know, do whatever. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that her relationship with money was something that it was not to be used, because you needed it to survive. And you know, I've adopted some of those fears myself.
0: Yeah, it's well, it's so amazing because I it, that reminds me of a couple of stories. I had a of a client who grew up um, thinking he was going to be thrown into the streets at any moment because his parents were terrified that they would be broke at any moment. They lived in a mansion. His grandfather invented a popular American dessert. They had millions of dollars, but as a kid, all he heard was, we're going to be in the street tomorrow, we're going to be in the street tomorrow, even though they had a butler and a chauffeur. So just the impact of the story from the parents and the grandparents that grew up in the Depression, he believed that story. Um, so it's the impact when we're young is, is amazing. And I, the other story that I think about real quick is this a uh, woman I was working with, she was telling me, you know, gee, I have all these financial issues. Well, her mom was single, and her mom worked two jobs to take care of her. And in her opinion, it wasn't ladylike because all of her friends' moms stayed at home and made lunch and took them and had tea parties. So she made a vow when she was young that she would never be like her mom because her mom wasn't ladylike. Instead of recognizing, oh, my mom's trying to provide. And so she, and until she saw that, she had this unconscious decision that she would never deal with money.
1: Well, and, you know, it's interesting, Bob, because I have lots of conversations and, you know, I have mixed reviews about this. I want to ask your opinion because I'm a single mom. My kids are nine and 12. I'm sole supporting in Southern California, you know, in a nice house and a nice school district, which you know is not easy. (laughs) Um, It's brutal. And, You know and what we end up doing the sacrifice we make for having a nice house in a good school district uh, because i can't afford the local you know sixteen thousand dollars a month uh tuition uh, for private school um but we sacrifice on our car you know my car has two hundred thousand miles on it it's a minivan it's older um we sacrifice on things like xboxes and video games and we don't go to the movies we wait till they come out on video we don't go out to dinner unless you know, my dad pays, or you know, we're a guest of somebody. Um, we economize so many different places. We do not have a gardener; we do the gardening ourselves. We do not have a maid; we do everything ourselves, which is very unlike their peers. And. I have these conversations with them and I always wonder, am I passing my money fears onto them by teaching them at a very young age that money is finite and, you know, it's not unlimited and we have to economize and compromise in areas because a couple of therapists have told me, oh, that's not good to tell the kids. But what do you tell them when somebody's got a Mercedes, a nanny and a gardener, you know, and you're in the minivan?
0: So I think it's real important to have a broader conversation with the kids. It's important to say that, you know, at the moment, our money isn't as abundant as our friend driving the Mercedes. And so we're making different choices. And it's not just about the money. We have, you know, we travel together or we have family time together. And we could have a nice Mercedes and maybe there'd be less family time. And so I'm making choices that I think are for the best. For all of us. And I think it's important to include kids in the conversation because, at least my generation, most of us saw our parents fighting about money. And so, money was never a conversation, it was always a conflict. And you don't have to let them know, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can pay the rent. And I think it's important to let them know, hey, we do have to make choices. And when you're older, you can take a job that pays more, or you can do something that, you know, fills your passion or feeds your soul but to have that conversation about what is richness beyond just financial riches.
1: Well, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a tough one. I mean, I I actually took notes. I actually wrote down like at the moment we, (laughs) you know, we don't have the abundance. I mean, I literally grabbed a piece of paper. Sorry for the thump. That was me moving my notepad. Um, because having the language, Mm -hmm. um, to explain these things to your kids, and I know that a lot of single moms listen to my show, so they're in the same boat as me. Um, you know, we don't, we just have a different set of conditions, but I don't want to bring my money fears over to my kids. You know, one time we were driving to school and I was out of gas, it was on empty, and I'm like, crap, I don't have any cash. I don't have, you know, I don't use credit cards, I only use my cash card. And I knew I didn't have enough money in there to cover a tank of gas. And so, right you know, we, I said, kids, everybody pull up the seats, look in your backpacks, you know, and we, we combed the car and we came up with like $11 between bills and change. Right. And that's what I used to buy two gallons of gas. This was right after my divorce. And, you know, money was just, there wasn't any, and, um, my company had changed drastically. And so, you know, I made a joke of it. Now I laugh back and go, Hey, remember when that happened? Or they'll bring it up like, Oh, my mom made us go through the car for change. You know, I'm never going to live that down. Right. Um, but we, I laugh about it. I said, yeah, but you know what? We got through it. And that's what you right. do. You know, you got to do what you need to do. And, you know, trying to take the fear away from it. Because I think
0: fear is just the biggest part yeah. of money. It is. There's so much fear. And I think it's okay to say this is our present condition. It's temporary. I don't know how temporary. And it's, it's not going to define our whole life. And, you know, being able to share experiences of, gee, when I was young, we didn't, you know, we didn't have money to buy groceries one week and I'm still here. So being able to say, look, I got through my adversity and it made me stronger and letting them be a part of that and just letting them know that's reality. That's not fear. That's just saying, hey, sometimes it gets tight and sometimes, you know, the money's a little bit shorter than I anticipated, um, but we're working together as a team and let's all just really be conscious and make it work and, and we'll get out of this.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I always tell people I'm so glad, you know, cause we're living in, you know, West Los Angeles, you know, people are very affluent and I know how to be poor. And right. a lot of my friends don't know how to do that. You know, we lived on, the kids and I lived on eggs and oatmeal and, you know, I, I economized like you wouldn't believe because I knew how to do that. Not coming from means I was able to live both I could live wealthy, but I could live poor, too, and right. still have a standard. And I think that's a skill set everybody needs to have.
0: Absolutely. And, the, you know, the hard thing in this day and age is the media is telling you, you got to have it now, and you should be able to have everything you want. And we see our, our friends driving fancy cars, and the kids know that maybe somebody else is getting a new pair of shoes every week. It's, it's hard to take all that in and not be tempted to try and live that life too, instead of looking at the reality of your own situation and and finding out what works best for you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Finding out what works for you and knowing that money fluctuates, you know, sometimes there's a lot, sometimes there are little, it's just part of the fabric of our lives. I mean, I don't know anybody, you know, I used to have this one client who would be so nasty to me on the phone when I worked in Beverly Hills. And finally, his name was Jay. And Jay, I hope if you're listening, you'll remember this. Um, but he would always yell at me because he lost a million dollars in the stock market that day. And all I could think of is, oh, my God, what was it like to be to have a million dollars to even put in the stock market? Right. Um, but I need to take us to commercial break. This is Sandra Beck, and we are visiting today. With Bob Wheeler. He wrote a book called The Money Nerve. And we're talking today about navigating the emotions of money. Because how much is enough? How much do you need? And and why do we fear money so much? We talked about, you know, some of the things that we go through and the situations that shape us. But How do we have a healthy relationship with money? How do we work through some of these things? That's what we're going to find out with Bob after the break. The book is called The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. The author is Robert Wheeler. That's W-H-E-E-L-E-R. And uh, we're going to figure this out when we get back from the break.
3: Chocolate Month. Historians say the Aztecs discovered chocolate 3,100 years ago and it was revered to the point of worship. The word chocolate comes from the Aztec word chocolate, which referred to the bitter spicy drink the Aztecs made from the cacao beans. The first chocolate bar was invented in 1847 by Joseph Fry. Did you know that it takes one year for a cacao tree to produce enough pods to make 10 chocolate bars? The scientific name for the tree that chocolate comes from, Theobroma cacao, means food of the gods. Man cannot live by chocolate alone, but we women sure can. Personally, I could give up chocolate. But I'm not a quitter. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging
4: your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words.
2: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: Resistance exercise is crucial to keeping your bones strong and dense. It is still important that we get sufficient amounts of calcium through eating and supplements. Children ages 9 through 18 need 1300 milligrams of calcium a day, while adults up to 50 need 1000 milligrams and adults over 50 need 1200 milligrams a day. One cup of milk or fortified orange juice has about 300 milligrams of calcium. Other good choices are yogurt, cheese, oatmeal, and salmon. When taking a pill or chew of calcium, be sure to couple it with vitamin D to help with the absorption. It is estimated that in the U.S., 55% of men and 78% of women over the age of 20 do not get enough calcium in their diets. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com.
2: Taking care of business Every day Taking care
1: of business Every way Hey mamas, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with The Money Show. Nope, we're not talking about how to make money. We're talking about how to manage our money, how to save our money, how to have a better relationship with money, which I know me personally, Bob, I'm hoping to come out of this uh, conversation. I already feel validated by this conversation that I'm not mm-hmm. the only one, um, yeah. with these issues, but, you know, we can talk all day about the why, and I think women, you know, spend too much time on the why. They're like, why did this happen to me? Why did he leave me? Why, why, why? The why doesn't change, and sometimes it actually does change with new information, but the why is not going to solve your problem. The why might help you not repeat it, but at the end of the day, we need to get to the action plan to fix what we need to fix so that we can move on starting now, Um And that is having a healthy relationship with money. So let's move away from the why we are this way. Let's just accept that we have unhealthy relationships with money. So what do we do? Because me acknowledging that I have all these fears from depression era parents
0: doesn't give me the tools to change it. It doesn't. Um, It's important to know that history so that you can know where you've been. And then you can decide where to go. But the first thing you have to do is really set that intention that you want something different, that you have an intention of I want to take responsibility for my money situation rather than leaving it to the universe. I, I want to have a willing – I've got to be willing to be uncomfortable in this transition to making choices that actually serve me in the long run instead of impulse um, purchases or impulse decisions that just serve me in the moment. And I I really have to make that intention of I want to do it different. I want to make conscious choices rather than, oh, my gosh, I don't know how that happened. Um, I spent a whole bunch of money, and I don't have money for rent. Why did this happen to me? No, we have to take responsibility and say, okay, I'm making choices. Am I going to make them that serve me in the moment or in the long run? So To me, that's where we start. Um, And then – we have to we have to um, get a perspective which is understanding where we 've come from and then learning to um, educate ourselves on those things that we 're afraid of so if i 'm afraid that I'm not capable of handling money, then maybe I find a financial advisor to, uh, there's lots of them out there that'll give a free consultation. Um, Or maybe I talk to a CPA, or I talk to one of my friends who's financially successful and say, hey, can you give me a little guidance? I'm trying to make some shifts, and I'd love some tips. So educating yourself, and then coming up with a plan, taking action. I'm actually not going to just keep talking about it, but now I'm actually going to start putting $25 a month into my savings account. I'm going to start, you know, shopping with a list instead of impulsively walking down the aisles, buying whatever feels like it needs to go in my cart and really like come up with a plan for what works with you. Um, cause a lot of people just want to go, it's the universe. I'm not responsible
1: well, and, you know, Bob, there's a couple other things. Like if you know, like for me, I there was a time in my life where I knew I was being financially irresponsible. I knew it. You know, I was making money hand over fist. It was flowing out like water. And I put some controls in there that right. I couldn't. Like, outwit. Like, I, I did two things. You know what I want to share with our listeners. One, I took my credit cards and I put a rubber band around them and I stuck them in my drawer. So they didn't come with me to the store. They didn't come with me shopping. They didn't sit near my computer. So I could internet shop. I mean, now PayPal is a little bit much because you can just, woo, can go really fast right. on that. But I physically took my ability away to overspend. The other thing I did is, you know, I used to call it my money suckers. I put these programs in place with my bank and my my paycheck and things like that where money was automatically pre-taken out so that, If it wasn't there, I couldn't spend it, and I set a budget for myself to live on what I had, and I still do that. I still, you know, suck things out so that I don't see them. I mean, I see them when the statements come through, but they're not there because it's really tempting. You know, when my kid comes in and says, Mom, I want a PS4, and I'm like, well, you just got an Xbox two years ago, and these games are like 50 bucks a pop. I could look in my account and go, well, I have X amount of dollars. I could do it, or I can look in my account and go, nope, sorry, no money there.
0: Absolutely. I think those are, you know, I I actually froze my credit cards. I put them in the ice because I knew it would take me a couple of days for the, for the ice to thaw, but setting boundaries that, um, and setting physical hiccups in place to make you rethink your choice are, are great ways to go. If like for some people like me, I used to be really bad. Somebody would come up and say, Hey, sign up for this gym membership. And I would just say, okay, Instead of no, I really shouldn't do that. I, I didn't know how to say no, and so what I started doing was saying, "Oh, you know what? I'm not allowed to make any decisions without my wife's permission, even if I didn't have a wife at the time." I could, you know, you can you can set a boundary, and people will respect that. So you find ways to protect yourself. Um, I'll get back to you in 24 hours. A lot of times, people think they can't live without it, and they'll find 24 hours later they've moved on to something else, and they don't even remember how important that item was.
1: Well, and that's what I'm going to talk about, like, you know, on Amazon, because I I ship a lot of things from Amazon to and from for my company. And one of the things I have noticed, like I made a rule with myself that, you know, if I place an order on Amazon, unless it's absolutely necessary for my business or absolutely necessary, um, you know, I need I need a component or part for a piece of equipment. That's one thing. You know, that's not exactly fun shopping. I'll I'll be honest. You know, nobody gets off buying HDMI cables with a little (laughs) micro plug. Well, sometimes I do. Actually, it's kind of fun, but um, but most of the time I will say, you know what? It's going to go in the account, and then it's going to sit there for at least 24 hours mm-hmm. before I can uh, pull the trigger on it.
0: Yeah, see, that's that's a great way to do it. And the other one of the things that I encourage people to do, and what I did for myself, because I sometimes would have this impulse to spend, is I have an account. I have one bank account at a credit union that is just my... Non-justified money. And I put 500 bucks a month into that account and that pays for a massage. It pays for you know, anything frivolous that's not part of my budget. And everything else that's in the other account, I don't touch it. I can only play with that money. And if I use it up, I don't get to use any money until it's back you know, replenished.
1: Yeah, I mean, we just, we need to play little games with ourselves if we mm-hmm. know what our, like, I stopped using uh, cash, Bob, because I could have, you know, and I still carry cash for emergency, and I have, like, you know, $20 bills tucked places, like, you know, in my car, you know, for emergency gas or mm-hmm. things like that, but but um, one of the things I found is that I could take $200 in cash and put it in my wallet, and at the end of the month have no idea where it went. Right. And so, you know, I use my cash card, you know, because it gives me a run. This is what you spend at Walmart. This is what you spend at the grocery store. This is what you spend at gas. And, you know, for me, I have a a Bank of America account that allows me to print out. And I have to at the end of the year because I am actually an, an incorporated entity. So I have two cash cards, one for my corporation, one for me. But I can run reports at the end of the year very simply on these banking sites that show me what it cost me to live.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody, it's different. So for you, having cash may not be the best thing. And then I have some clients where I would never let them have a credit card because even though we talk through it, they turn around and max it out because they think that they're allowed to use up to the full credit available every time. And and so we have to find out what works for each of us and what is what is my trigger, what is your trigger, and then work with that because what works for 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 Debbie may not work for Jane. So Right.
1: Right. Well that's why we talk about some of these things. Be creative. You know, you want to put your credit card in the freezer and freeze it? Go ahead. You want to give it to a a friend. You know, I have one of my girlfriends who gave me her credit cards and she's like, You are not allowed to give these to me unless I can give you a justifiable excuse. And I have the funny way of saying no. I don't I never say no to her. She'll just be like, Well this is what I'm thinking and I go, Ah <laughs> 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 because really, unless it has to do with medical, like actual, you know, your, your kid is sick and you got to buy his medicine, you know, or pay the copayment, most of it's a. Like, eh. And, um, you know, but, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, you can have some fun with this. It doesn't have to be painful. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, and we can do this when we get back from the break. Oh my gosh, the show's almost over. I still got to tell um, everybody what show this is. You can find us on iTunes, go to motherhood talk radio. You can go to our station tugging at dot com and, um, And, uh, you know, find us there. And, yes, Lisa, the producer is saying we're on a break because I've I've been known to end a show earlier because I'm (laughs) a little off center. Um, But what we want to talk about when we come back from the break is unreasonable fears around money. I know that I have some unreasonable fears about money. I know that friends of mine have unreasonable fears about money. And, Bob, do you have a definition for unreasonable? Because I sure do.
0: I'd love to hear your definition.
1: Okay. My definition of unreasonable fears about money are when you have enough money and you're afraid you're going to lose it, and when you don't have enough money, you're afraid you'll never have enough, and either way, you're stuck in that fear cycle. That, to me, is unreasonable
0: fear about money. That sounds good to me. I, you know, for me, I, I, I find that there's so many different fears that I just like to be open to hearing the fears and then trying to work through them. But there are so many fears that are just stories in our head uh, that we need to learn to let go and find something that serves us.
1: See, and I, yeah, and I want to talk about that when we come back from the break because I have so many fears being a single mother that I won't have enough. I've been doing it for seven years. I never missed a mortgage payment, yet there are nights I can't sleep going like, what if, what if, what if? And, you know, maybe that's one thing we can talk about. Um, when we feel financially or emotionally trapped with the money we have, we don't have future past, it all jumbles up together. This is Sandra Beck of Motherhood Talk Radio, and we are live with Bob. Wheeler. He wrote a book called *The Money Nerve*, and today we're talking about navigating the emotions of money. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about overcoming some of these fears around money because they don't always go away when you have money in the bank or your credit cards are at zero. There's always another fear to pop up, like whack a mole, and you know we just got to smack them down and get back on our on our um, on our work trail so that we can move forward.
2: Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond.
4: Living longer is a common byproduct of a healthy lifestyle, of daily exercise, and low calorie, nutritious eating. Living a long life where you're able to be here and enjoy your loved ones is certainly an important prize. But the biggest reward for living a healthy life is greater well being. Not only do you want to live long, you want to live well. Feeling good, having a positive outlook on life, and increased energy are worthy goals. And totally within your reach. No matter where you are today, no matter what the state of your health or energy level, you can take action now to make positive steps towards living a healthy life. Exercise gives you a better viewpoint and, frankly, makes your life better. Live an active life and see your well-being soar. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Never heard. Okay, ladies,
3: listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. Now, hold on, that doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman whose sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs holds higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do the Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Too Funny for Words.
2: take care of
1: ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and we are talking today with Bob Wheeler, and we are talking about navigating the emotions of money. And before we went to break, Bob, we talked about fears, like, you know, I have fears. When I have money, I have fear I'm going to lose it. When I don't have money, I have fear I'm never going to have enough. And I have all these weird fears around my bills coming in, whether I can pay them or not, or if I have to do the billing for my company. It actually gives me like an upset stomach and I usually pop a couple of tums and then I sit down and I work, you know, with with Julia or Marie to do our billing. And they laugh at me. They're like, oh, Miss Beck, you're like, do you need some tea? Do you need to lay down? I'm like, I think I need an <laughs> Um But it's really a true fear. Right. Or anxiety or something. I don't know. Right. You could shrink it out. Being a CPA, you, you've worked more with money issues than I have
0: yeah you know well you know we all have these fears or certain things that trigger us, or I know some people when they don't have any money, they get really angry and then they try to blame people. so the first thing I tell people to do is really explore what are those fears and emotions that are coming up, like where do I get charged? Do I get upset if I go on my bank account every day and see that I only have one hundred bucks? Then maybe stop doing that. <laughs> um, like find different ways to support yourself. Emotionally, so if if you've got these fears that the money's not going to be there every month, then stop and take a look and look at the last three months. Oh, wait, the money's been there, and here's the pattern, so that we can start to see the, the truth of si- the situation. Um, because a lot of times we create these these stories and we that are based on fear, and they're not actually happening to us. So a lot of people will say, "Oh my God, I'm so broke. I'm so broke." Well, they might have a house that's got equity, they might have paid off their car, they've got children that are like, going to school and maintaining good grades. So it's a lot of times it's, it's, it's just these stories we create and we have to start getting down to what's the actual reality. Um, and one of the ways that we can do that is to once a month sit down with ourselves, or if we have a partner, spouse, husband, wife, sit down with them and say, hey, let's take a look at what we did last month and let's look at what we want to do this month. Let's look at our short-term goals. Let's look at our long-term goals. Are we putting money aside for that trip we want to take? Like really actually taking an active you know, participation with, with our money instead of just waiting to see how it all unfolds.
1: Well, and so much as the words we choose, you know, I was thinking when you said that, Bob, I was thinking about some of my clients and they're like, you know, they come and they have a meeting with me and they want me to do all this technical stuff. And then of course they always go to the, you know, well, you know, I have to be honest with you. And then I'm always like, oh yeah, here comes the big whopper. Right. Um, you know, I have to be honest with you. You know, I'm broke. I'm just so broke, you know, and I'm like, if you're broke, what are you doing here? Wasting my time. Cause you're not broke. And when you parked a, you know, $225,000 car in my driveway with run flat tires how broke really are you right um but they really you know i make fun of them and you know if any of my clients are listening today i'm sorry but you know i'll make fun of your, to your face for this <laughs> you know t- as well as on the air but you know their mentality really is that they are broke because they don't have whatever amount of gigantic piles of money in their accounts that make them feel secure and Is there ever enough? Have you ever come across a client, Bob, in your days? Because I haven't, where enough is enough.
0: Well, I do have people that feel like that they have abundance and they'll continue to let it manifest and they're not obsessed with it. So I do think there can be a place mentally that we can come to a place of, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm breathing. I'm able to put food on my table and I've got shelter. I think we can get to that place. It doesn't have to mean that we need to have ten million dollars in the bank to have a fulfilled life. And I think that's where we get into trouble is our mentality of, you know, like you're saying, these people that say I'm broke, I'm broke. I, I really I talk a lot about languaging in the book because I think it's really important. You actually said earlier, and I thought it was interesting, you said earlier that you're really good at being poor. And that's real interesting because I think a lot of people are really good at being broke. And they're afraid if I let people know that I'm successful or happy, then they're going to try and take me down or they're going to try and take it from me or – the universe is going to take it away from me. You know, when we get a new car, we always, oh, no, no, I, I, I got a bonus, but, you know, I didn't really deserve it. I, we downplay our success and our abundance. And, and so the languaging is really important. A lot of people say, I want to be rich, but I'm afraid. And I encourage people to say, I want to be rich and I'm afraid. Let them coexist. Stop the negations. And really listen to the languaging. It's not that I'm broke. I'm choosing to do different things with my money other than the goals that I set.
1: I'm making notes here. Cause I like that. Um, you know, it's so important that, our, you know, the words we choose, like I don't ever use the word broke because I'm not broke. I own a house. I own a car. You know, right. I have some investments Am I cash poor right now, you know, with two kids in school and a company to run. Yes, I'm cash poor,
0: but cash poor to me is a lot more tolerant than broke. Right? Absolutely. And, Again, it's the language that is so important, whether it's with your kids or whether it's with your spouse. I've had um, women come to me and say, I really want to change my financial picture, but my but my husband won't support me. He does this and that. And so I suggested to them, well, maybe you could change the languaging. Maybe you go to your, your spouse and say, honey, I want to do things different. I know I haven't done so well in the past, and I was wondering if you might support me in my new journey of, of – Allowing abundance in and I find when you go in that way instead of saying you always keep me down and you always ruin everything for me. But if we come in from a place of hey, would you help support me that we engage people to actually help us reach our goals.
1: Well, and you're so much more, you know, you're so good at that. You know, I'm just so obnoxious. I I just want to say to people sometimes that come in my office, you know, if what you're wearing today could feed like an Ethiopian family for 10 years, you're not broke. Like you're not like, poor. You're not. Um, but you can't tell people that. And it's up to people to change their own internal dialogue. We can't do that for them.
0: No, but we can gently remind them. I actually, it's funny, I've been hearing this a lot more, um, of people joking, geez, that sounds like a first world problem to me, right? Um, So, oh my gosh, do I get the Mercedes or the BMW? Oh, wow, that sounds like a really hard decision. It must be difficult. You know, to to sort of like lighten up this situation, because some people, they get so attached to um, how they're viewed.
1: Well, yeah. You know, it's like I've got one client who owes me some money and he hasn't paid me. He's paying me this like, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. And the guy lives in a four million dollar house. His kid has a BMW that's, you know, worth like, you know, two years of my house payments. And, you know, but he's he cannot write a check for the full amount that he owes me. And I don't know what. You know, and he does it to everybody. It's not like he just does it to me. It's not personal because I, I called a bunch of girls that I know do different work for him. And I'm like, hey, does he pay you? And they're like, yeah, he pays me like 50 or 75 bucks a month off his bill when he full well could pay the whole thing. What is it about these guys that won't peel dollars out of their wallets?
0: You know, like in his situation, it probably gives him a sense of control that he gets to decide how much you're going to get, even though you created the invoice, he's going to let you know what he's going to get to you. Maybe he'll get you the rest later, or maybe he's going to ask for a discount, but he gets to be in control. So a lot of people feel like if they get to decide that money amount, they're, you know, they're, they're calling the shots. I, I see that a lot. I have a couple clients that they do the same thing. Um, and what we had to do was say, You know, here's the deal. You have to pay half up front and you have to pay the rest when we file your tax return or we're not going to file it (laughs) because a lot of people would say, well, I can I can pay I can pay Bob in three months. And and, you know, and I would say to people, listen, because in the past I would just trust people to pay and they wouldn't pay. So what we would say to them is, hey, did you get good service? Absolutely. Did you have any problems with your tax return? Oh, no, it was it was it was great. Was there any issues that we need to resolve? No, everything's good. Well, here's the thing. I would love to do it for free, but my employees apparently like to get paid on a regular basis. And in order for me to do that, I need you to actually pay your bill. Or I don't think this is going to be a relationship that works for me. Right. And and so I don't make them wrong. I just say, here's here's what's going to work for me. And if that doesn't work for you, that's okay. We probably just need to part ways. Because I need to find things that work for me. Love to be of service, and I need it to work for me too.
1: Yeah, because chasing money down doesn't feel good, you know. And I only have two, you know. I've cleared out. It's funny you say this, Bob, because over the last couple of years, I've cleaned out the clients that I got to chase down for payment. And you know, I only work in affluent communities, so it's not like people don't have the money. Um, but you're right. I, I appreciate that power struggle thing because it was really puzzling to me. Going, I have clients who have so much less than these people, and they pay their bills on time, and they pay them. You know, I'm sure they're not happy to pay them, but but, right. you know, they pay them. And a lot of times clients will pay them and thank me for my work. And the ones that I have to chase down never say thank you. They never acknowledge, you know, the extra mile. And, you know, I've really cleaned them out because I think they are a big part of, like, my billing phobia. Right. Because it's like you just I, – I see their name on a piece of paper and I'm just like, oh Like I know there's going to be an excuse. There's going to be a this. There's going to be a that. And, you know, I think that – Examining some of this stuff can help us expose, you know, why we have some
0: of these feelings associated with money. No, absolutely. I mean, when I meet with new clients, I always tell them it's a mutual um, discovery. I want to see if I like them as much as I want to see if they like me, because if I don't like them, I'm not going to do them service either. So I really I really like am direct with clients and let them know, like, I need it to work for me, too
1: absolutely well Bob Wheeler I want to thank you for for exploring uh, money with me today your book The Money Nerve Navigating the Emotions of Money it's a short read it's an easy read this is not some big fat book that's going to take forever you can read it in the bathtub like I did and it gives you some call to actions you can highlight things and you know it's really good so Balboa Press puts it out that's a division of Hay House uh, The Money Nerve by Bob Wheeler uh, nothing was paid for promotion in this show today it's just i thought it was a
0: great read thanks and have a good week thanks so much thank you for listening on behalf of sandra beck we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want tune in next week for more tips tricks and techniques from coach talk radio